Hello, and welcome to Introducing Me. I'm your host, Sarah. I started this podcast to get to know other people and lifestyles while discovering more about myself. Each episode, I will give new guests a chance to discuss their background, culture, interests, or whatever they want to talk about to help increase all of our own worldviews. Today, I would like to introduce you to Chuck Patrizzi. He is a Christian trans man, and he married his husband prior to his transition, but they are still happily married, and Christianity is still a part of his life. So I'm excited to talk to Chuck today and get to know more about him. So thank you so much for being here, Chuck. Why don't you tell the audience a little bit more about yourself? Hi, yeah, thanks for having me. It's good to be here. Uh, Yeah, like you said, I'm a Christian trans man. Uh, I have my degree in biblical studies, so that's what my undergraduate degree was in. Uh, And yeah, everything else you said was pretty accurate. I live in Seattle and I, yeah. So do you want to talk a little bit about Christianity and your degree and why it is so much like kind of a defining part of who you are and it is something you talk about on social media? Yeah, so I think I've always sort of had a love for the Bible as a whole. Uh, When I was a kid, it was, you know, I mean, I've always been into things like mythology and fantasy. And so as a kid growing up in the church, you know, learning these Bible stories and, you know, being told like all these, these things actually happened, you know, it was like a big thing for me. And I just thought it was so cool. And I like sucked up as much of the Bible as I possibly could and dove into it as much as I could. And I was sort of like the Hermione Granger in my Bible school, my Bible school or my Bible Sunday school. That's the word I'm trying to get. I was the Hermione Granger in my Sunday school. And I was just always the one like throwing up my hand and knowing all the answers. And that just kind of persisted with me as I got older. And then I ended up getting my undergraduate degree in biblical studies from Biola University, which is a pretty prominent Christian college on the West Coast in California. And yeah, that was a pretty great experience until, you know, graduation and you realize that someone who is perceived at the time as I was as a woman is not typically welcome in evangelical circles when it comes to teaching the Bible, unless you're going to teach children or other women. So, you know, I came out of this great institution of Biola, which now we have a lot of differing opinions, but at the time I felt like it was a great institution and I was like ready because I had all these wonderful professors who I would still say are pretty wonderful people that were like hyping you up and being like, yes, like, you know, go into the world and do all this stuff. And you don't realize until after you get out of that environment that not everyone in the evangelical faith is as forward thinking when it comes to women teaching the Bible. And basically everywhere I tried, it was like shut down. It was, you know, either either because of my age or my gender, perceived gender. And and so that kind of sucked and sent me sort of crawling into a bit of a hole of unemployment or just going to lots of different jobs that I hated and stuff like that. And over time, a lot of things started happening that started making me question certain things that I believed. But I never really questioned, I guess, my love for the Bible or my relationship with God or my faith in that respect. I just started questioning, I guess, evangelical Christianity's version of it. I started talking to a lot of other believers, a lot of other Christians, and it was helpful with my degree to like hear these other perspectives and then look at the text and know, 
technically speaking, the way that they're interpreting this text isn't wrong. It's just different from what I've always been taught. And that helped open up my mind a lot more. And I think most people in my shoes uh, coming out as trans and realizing they're trans and all of that tends to like lead them away from the church, which is very understandable. And, you know, I think for me, for some reason that was, I don't know, it just never came across to my mind. Like the core of my faith was something I never really questioned, just the details surrounding it and like the exact ways in which I lived out my faith. And I, I tell people all the time to this day, if I believed that being trans or being queer in any way was a sin, I still wouldn't do it. I just don't think it is. <laughs> and I don't think the Bible thinks it is. So that's the, the big thing that changed there in that, I think. And so did you ever struggle with then starting to identify as queer and trans or get kickback? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so I really, I, I knew that I was trans probably, I mean, I, I didn't really know I was trans because I didn't know the word for it, but I knew that I was a boy as early as I knew what gender was. So I was like five years old and I, I knew I was a boy. I went through this whole process of like telling my babysitters to call me Jimmy. That was the name I wanted at the time. Uh, since that, I have known several Jimmys, and so it felt weird to take that name. <laughs> but um, at, when I was five years old, that was the name I wanted. And it was interesting because that was also around the same time that like my love of the Bible started. And I had, so I was at this early age where my faith and my uh, gender synced up and I was able to like believe in Jesus and believe in God and all those things. And also know about myself that I was a boy, but you know, again, that's something that's not typically taught in the Christian church, especially the evangelical Christian church. And so my my mom was very much sort of like, well, I don't know why God made you a girl, but he made you a girl. And for a while, I think that seemed comforting to me. But in retrospect, it what it really did was made me just entirely stifle myself. And so coming out now, I came out when I was 28, which was last year. I'm 29 now. But um, it's very interesting to have what feels sort of like this 20-year gap where it's like I, I knew who I was when I was a kid. And then when I started getting like eight years old, nine years old, I started like actively trying not to be so masculine and try to like fit into this world I thought I needed to fit into and fit into this gender I thought I needed to fit into. And I... I it, it ended up actively stifling my personality, things that I liked, uh, just a lot of a lot of things. And it felt like I sort of became an entirely different person. And I just was that person for like 20 years. And so now I'm like trying to dig out this eight-year-old and get them to catch up <laughs> in that 20 years of development. And that's certainly interesting. But yeah, it's been it's been a long, difficult road because when you're told for so long that one core thing about you disapproves of another core thing about you it it really just sort of takes over your life and i think for me at the time my mom was like a very prominent figure in my life and her faith sort of was like represented as the 
the paramount faith in our family and you know she had a, a bible degree herself and she just knew a lot about the bible and she had worked in ministry before and so i kind of went through this phase of like well that means the right way to exercise this belief is the way my mom does it and i have a really good relationship with my mom or so i thought really the female version of me had a really good relationship with my mom not the actual version but you know you start actively stifling parts of yourself thinking to yourself oh well i'm a girl i should try probably try to figure out how to be that and next thing i knew it become it became this like constant energy sucking exercise that i had to do every day for 20 years and it wasn't until coming out that i realized just how much energy and brain power and work i was putting into just doing basic things like policing how i stood or how i walked or how i sat or how i presented myself and it didn't occur to me just how much energy that was sucking out of me until i don't have to do that anymore um but honestly i can thank a lot of things like it, it almost felt like god in a way sort of pushed my husband and i out of that because i was so determined to stay where i was in the evangelical church i was like i believed in this i'm not going to be one of those kids who grows up and falls away from the faith i'm gonna keep going i'm gonna you know we're gonna go to church and we're gonna do these things and we're gonna be the the christian couple that we're supposed to be and it's every single door just closed every time it was like relationships i thought i needed to invest in fell apart and you know places i thought i had to live we we ended up having to move to iowa because that was we couldn't afford to live in southern california anymore and the church there is very different than the church in southern california and so it was like we couldn't find it's a lot more cultural and so it was like well i don't know if we can find any genuine people here so it sort of just felt like we were pushed out of the church entirely and then we were just sort of on our own and this was during 2020 and up until then i had been pretty republican and then 2020 happened and everything just trump's presidency happened and i was like oh fuck i'm not extremely republican at all in fact i'm quite left and being away from my parents and my you know my family and the community i had grown up in and had constantly told me i needed to be a certain way just being away from that gave me a chance to just sort of stop and breathe and be like hang on a sec like what and suddenly i realized that everything i had built my entire life on was just a facade that was ready to crumble and when i realized that it it did crumble and i sort of spiraled into this pretty hard depression that lasted i mean i'm i'm, I'm on the upswing i'm, I'm on my way out of it <laughs> but it, it was really bad at the beginning of 2020 i ended up uh, staying in a hospital for about five days because i was worried about uh, being suicidal um and it, it was bad i turned to a lot of things like drank a lot more alcohol than i should have drank uh just went on this big spiral that i didn't seem like i would ever get out of i was unemployed i had yeah my husband josh was like maybe you should take a break from working for a little bit and i was like okay and so i was unemployed and i was just spending most of my days like in bed I, some days I, most days i wouldn't even change my underwear it was it was bad and i just realized like i couldn't present myself in the world anymore because 
I realized that the person I was presenting to the world was a crumbling facade and it wasn't going to stay strong because it wasn't strong to begin with because it wasn't real. But now that I knew it wasn't real, there was no way it was going to stay. And at this time still, I didn't quite, I wasn't quite at the point where I wanted to admit that I was trans, but it was a topic that constantly came up in conversation between my husband and I, but I was never going to be like, yeah, I'm this. It was always like, yeah, I've, I've struggled with this. Um, and it wasn't until I had a therapist in Portland and I lived with a couple of friends in Portland. My husband and I lived with some friends in Portland for about almost two years. And again, just being away from my parents, especially my mom, and being away from that whole culture gave me the room to sort of question. And, you know, since I was working more on my mental health and trying to be more, I spent a lot of time just so out of it from how much alcohol and weed I was doing. Uh, don't recommend being crossfaded. It's not an experience that's very fun. But I, I was just sort of drifting through my life for a couple of years because I could not emotionally or mentally handle trying to dig inside myself and figure out what the problem was or figure out who I was. It was just, it brought me too much anxiety. And so for a couple of years, I was just kind of not really doing much of anything and just sort of skating on by and trying to do basic hygiene. And that was considered a win. And and then around the time, I think we, uh, near the end of last year was when I finally was just like, okay, I have been fighting this for a long time. I've been convinced that this is not right. This is a sin, that this is blah, blah, blah. So I, and I was like, I need a fresh perspective on this because I was either getting super conservative evangelical Christian, or I was getting like non-Christian LGBT. And so it was like, I didn't feel like I fit in either camp, really. I always used to think I fit in the Christian side, but now I was starting to realize I did not. But I also didn't feel like I fit in the like atheistic LGBT side. Like That just didn't feel right to me either. And so I was like, I need a new perspective. And so I literally just Googled trans Christian book. <laughs> and I came up with this one called Transgendered and the People and Communities of God, which is by a guy named uh, Justin Sabiatanis, who is a transgender man and pastor, I believe. And he just broke it down in such a good, understandable, succinct way. And the way he referenced scripture when talking about queer things was just like, oh, that makes sense, one. And two, based on the knowledge I have from my undergraduate degree, isn't incorrect. That's not an incorrect way to read scripture. And I started engaging with more stuff like that. And that's what sort of led me more into TikTok and starting. I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm going to spend my time listening to other people and trying to absorb information about other people as much as possible. And TikTok was really funny because I was just on TikTok. And next thing I know, my entire For You page is like queer people with ADHD. And I was like, this is interesting. I'm noticing a trend. Maybe, maybe my algorithm is trying to tell me something about myself. And I, it was just very, yeah, it was time of learning, but not having to pay for learning like I did at school, which was nice. Uh, but I, 
I just decided to hear some different perspectives on the Bible and to remain open. And I, I used it like I, I made sure I listened to all this stuff with a critical lens. And I was like, okay, I have this undergraduate degree in biblical studies and I know the Bible very well and I've read a lot and I've heard a lot. And so I will apply that knowledge to what I'm hearing here and determine whether or not, you know, that sounds legitimate. And I was surprised to find because you're told by the conservative Christian church that like progressive Christians and queer Christians, like don't, don't utilize the word of God correctly or well, or they don't really have a relationship with Jesus or they don't really know the Bible. They're just like picking and choosing what they want to pick and choose. But when I actually engaged with like queer theologians and progressive Christians, I found that that was not the case at all. In fact, most of them knew the Bible way better than most of the evangelical pastors I had engaged with. And that was very interesting. And so my husband and I started going to a queer church in Portland. And again, I was very pleasantly surprised by the passion for the Bible and also the understanding of scripture, even if it was different slightly from my understanding of it, like it was still very much there and very present. And so I started realizing that there was this third option I hadn't considered. There was this option where I could be myself, but not be one of those people that quote unquote, fell away, which was always the thing I never wanted to do. I never wanted to walk away from the church. I never wanted to give up on my faith. I, that's such an important part of me. But now I'm realizing so is being trans and so is being queer. And I started to see that there's a world where the two can coexist quite happily, actually. <laughs> and I hadn't seen much about that before. And so I always told myself growing up, like, if I have to choose between being a boy and following Jesus, I will always choose Jesus, which is still true. I just don't think I have to choose anymore. <laughs> I, I don't, which is such a liberating feeling. <laughs> and it's great to hear how you've gotten to this, to this point of liberation, as you just said, but also, you know, talking about, you know, the struggles that you went through, the deep depression, but you sought out help, you had the support of your husband. And I think that's so important for people to hear to say like, you know, and that you're still working on, on, you know, coming out fully on the other side. Um, but you're in a better place now and you're able to do all of that. So would you be able to talk a little bit more about kind of what happened in the past year of you saying like, yes, I'm going to embrace my identity as a man and stop the pushing that part of you away um, and being who you were. Can you share a little bit about that? Yeah. Yeah. It was part of it was gradual. And then part of it was instantaneous. Like um, before I even like officially came out, I had talked to my husband about it and I was like, I feel like I want to start dressing a bit more masculine, you know, that kind of thing. And, and he was like, yeah, totally go for it. And so I like started dressing more masculine and stuff like that. And I still like, there was this part of me that was like, I was determined to remain a woman. I just, and I would tell people like, yeah, I'm a woman, but like, I am just learning that I can, it's okay for me to define what femininity means to me. And for a while that felt like androgyny and that kind of thing. And so I always described like my upper half as like casual dude. And my lower half is like casual lady. Cause I would always wear like skinny jeans and like women's shoes and that kind of thing. But then I would wear like bigger t-shirts and stuff up top. And Still, that was not fully comfortable, but to me, it was like, yeah, this is a compromise I feel good about. And as time went on, I started, you know, 
wearing more masculine clothes and wearing my dresses and other stuff much less. And my husband the entire time was just so like, do whatever the fuck you want. Like, I think you're attractive when you're feeling good and clearly you are feeling good. And so do it. And then I reached a point in therapy where I was like, oh, fuck, yeah, I'm trans. And I remember I, I told Josh that. I'm like, yeah, I'm trans. And his honest to God first response was, yes, I knew it. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, yeah, you're right. He's like, I told you I knew it. <laughs> and so at that point, then it, it was like, okay, like, I've had enough time to think about this. I've had 28 years to think about this. I knew this when I was five. I've been stifling it all this time. I'm now just gonna go all in. And so we like went to Goodwill the next day and bought a bunch of man jeans. And I signed up for Stitch Fix and like just signed up for the men's clothes. I actually did that before I came out. That was part of my experimenting with androgyny. Because when you sign up for Stitch Fix, they give you the option for men's clothes or women's clothes. And so I signed up for a men's clothes account. Uh, and but, but once I came out, it was like, yeah, we're going all the way. And like within, I think, a month of coming out, because I came out in December. And by January 15th, I had gotten on testosterone. And I was like, we're doing it. It's happening. We're going all the way. And we, we bought a binder to you know, and that kind of thing. And it was so fascinating to me just how instantly certain things that I didn't realize were huge burdens on my mental health were just suddenly gone. Uh, I was telling Josh just the other day that I no longer have to put all the mental energy into like just the way I, I sit, for example, like the way my mom always sat, she would sit like with her, her legs crossed with one knee over the other knee, which is typically, I guess, I always saw it as like a feminine way to sit. And my dad would sit with like his ankle over his knee with like a much wider, you know, pelvic position, I guess. And I was like, I can't ever sit that way, even though that was more comfortable. So I spent years like desperately trying to cross my knee over my knee and being horribly uncomfortable. And now I'm just sitting and not even thinking about it, which seems like such a small thing. But it hit me and I turned to Josh and I was like, wait, so like you, this isn't a normal experience for you, like putting all this energy into how you are in public and how you're being perceived. And he's like, no, that's not a normal thing. <laughs> and I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> wow. So it, it just certainly became this thing where I was like, wow, my life just feels instantly more natural. It just feels so much easier. And I'm now able to dedicate so much of this mental reserves that I was dedicated to like how I was being perceived. I can now like dedicate to other parts of my life, which is really nice. Uh, <laughs> very nice. I also got diagnosed with ADHD around the same time I started testosterone. So just a lot of quick changes in a short amount of time that have just radically improved my life. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, but nice <laughs> yeah it, you can clearly see like how you share about it how good it has been for you um can you talk a little bit about the adhd diagnosis and what that has meant for your daily life oh yeah that's a fun one so i have an older brother who was diagnosed with adhd when he was like five it was like he shot out the womb and they were like this one has adhd 
Uh, and my mom worked for a while. She worked for an organization called NILD, which is a, a national institution on learning disorders, something like that. And she had a certificate there. And part of her job, she ended up being a teacher. And so she she taught in elementary school. She taught first grade. But at the school, she kind of was the person that they would send kids to to like initially test to see if maybe they might have ADHD. And so like she would like test them and were do a write up or whatever. And then they would go if they were like, yeah, they probably have ADHD. They would go to actually like officially get it diagnosed. And so she was like that person. Uh, but I was not ever diagnosed because I was uh, AFAB and they thought I was a girl, you know, and I was good at school. And in that time, and a lot of times now still with ADHD, that's really the only thing people care about. And as long as you're good at school, then you don't really need to get tested. And so I was good at school. But what they don't tell you is that uh, AFABs especially, and women especially, girls especially, uh, are conditioned by our society to be very good and be very diligent and to keep working harder and to keep, you know, and being the good students and the good whatever. And so while I was doing good at school, I was killing myself to do good at school. And most people don't have to do that. <laughs> but again, I, I just put all this time and energy into being good at school, which then again, once I graduate from college and have no more school left, I spent my entire life hyper-focusing, which is an ADHD thing, on school. And once school was no longer there, I'm like, well, fuck, what do I do with my life now? Um, and it was, again, it was TikTok. <laughs> it was so funny. I was on TikTok and I started getting, all my algorithm was just filled with like queer people with ADHD. And so I was like, hey, maybe I'm queerer than I thought I was. And then I also started thinking, maybe I have ADHD. And so I started like doing more research and I, you know, I started understanding that ADHD is like more than just a learning disability. It's like an entire like neurodivergency and like your brain just works differently. And while most people sort of focus on it as a learning disability, because where it comes into play the most is, you know, coming in, into conflict, with people trying to do school. If it's so much bigger than that and broader than that. And it affects a lot more than just your ability to pay attention in the classroom. And so at that point I was like, all right, well, I'm going to go through the process of trying to get this diagnosed, which is not an easy process. <laughs> Let me tell you, it's not an easy process because ADHD medication is something that's so highly regulated. They don't just like give it out easily. And so you, you have to go through a lot of bureaucratic medical hoops to even like get a diagnosis, let alone get tested for it. And I ended up going through a, one of those apps, Cerebral, and I, I did it that way, which was great as far as getting diagnosed. It was pretty straightforward and a lot easier. But then there were some issues just with our medical insurance in that. And they said they would take it and then they wouldn't take it. And so we ended up, I ended up like leaving the app entirely like a week after getting diagnosed just because I was like, it's too expensive. But, but that got me the diagnosis. And then I was able to go to my doctor and be like, Hey, I have ADHD and, and get on some Adderall, which to be honest, I don't recommend starting Adderall and testosterone in the same week. It's, <laughs> it's a lot um but i got through it was a wild month january was a wild month 
But eventually, you know, it, it balanced out. My hormones balanced out. My brain chemistry balanced out. And it's just been amazing to see the difference. Like, just within a couple of weeks of taking Adderall, suddenly things that were, like, such monumental tasks before were just, like, easy. Like, I was changing my underwear every day and brushing my teeth every day, which sounds like such basic human things that everybody does every day, but I was not doing them every day for, like, over a year. And so to suddenly just wake up one day and be like, oh, I can do these things. And I think a large part of it is with ADHD, you tend to very much hyper-focus on certain things. And so if you're hyper-focusing on something and then the idea of like eating or brushing your teeth or changing your underwear is like in the back of your mind saying, hey, you have to do this. And you're like, no, 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 I can't do that. I'm focusing on this thing right now. Even if that thing isn't that important, you know, your brain's still going to focus on it. And then all the other stuff you kind of just put to the side and don't think about. And so suddenly having something that cleared up my brain a little, because the thing is like with ADHD, your brain goes a lot slower. And so like things are coming at you and it's just even the simplest things can feel overwhelming. And so a stimulant like Adderall will is similar like to coffee. It'll make your brain go faster. And so now all these things coming at me seem a lot less overwhelming. And I'm like, oh, wait, I, I, this will only take me literally two seconds. Like, that's not a lot of effort at all. And so I was able to do that, which was really nice. And I haven't mentioned this, but on top of that, I also have fibromyalgia. So I've been dealing with chronic pain for the last several years. And turns out fibromyalgia is also very tied to your mental health. And so when you're stressed out of your mind and super depressed, the pain can get a lot worse. But when things are starting to fit in together better and you're starting to feel better about yourself and your brain is starting to work the way that society deems it should and, you know, that kind of thing, suddenly I noticed the pain was not near as bad. And I used to use that as an excuse a lot, like, oh, I can't brush my teeth. I can't do this. I can't do that. I'm in too much pain. I can barely move. And then when the pain started subsiding, I was like, oh, this isn't that hard. I can do that. This, this is easy. I can do that. And certain things like, like I wasn't driving anywhere on my own for a long time. My husband was driving places. My husband was, he, what a trooper. Let me tell you, he has like, he took the financial burden for us, like, cause I wasn't working. I'm still not working. Um, so he did that. And he also, basically did all the housework like he did all the laundry and he did a lot of the cleaning and he just like took on everything because i was in a place where i was just so incapable of moving so it's been interesting how that seemed like such an insurmountable obstacle for so long but as soon as i started taking testosterone and as soon as i started taking adderall those things started to clear up and to fall into place this is not a I would like to add as a disclaimer, if you don't have ADHD, you shouldn't be taking stimulants. That's why they're so highly regulated. But for people who do have ADHD, they are incredibly helpful. And it's just really cleared up my whole world in so many ways. Yes, and it's and it's so good that it has. And I'm glad you, you know, you added the disclaimer that you did. Um, it is important to realize that when people share about these things, like they're talking about their experience and, you know, especially regulated medicine does not apply to all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. Yes, very much so. Don't take Adderall unless you have diagnosed ADHD. <laughs> now, you've mentioned a couple times how supportive your husband has been through everything. 
Um, so I'm curious if like during your transition, you know, either of you had the conversations about kind of like sexuality as, you know, you transitioned from female to male, um, what that kind of like meant for your marriage. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's an interesting one. <laughs> so we like, I, I, I identify as bisexual and uh, he was actually the first person I came out to as bisexual at the time. It was like a thing where I was like, Oh yeah, I'm attracted to women as well as men. I'm going to be open with him about this. Uh, but obviously since I'm a Christian person, you know, I'm never going to act on that part of myself, blah, blah, blah. Um, but it was so interesting. Cause I remember we were sitting in my car after he was dropping me off at my parents' house and I just, we were talking about, I don't even remember what we were talking about. And I just kind of dropped it like, Oh yeah, by the way, I'm bisexual or whatever. And he was like, yeah, totally. And like, we just kept talking. Like he didn't even, there was no reaction. It was just like, yeah, sure. Okay, cool. And I was like, Oh wow. Took that really easily. And so like before I think we even got engaged, I had mentioned to him that I quote unquote struggled with the sin of wanting to be a man, blah, blah, blah. Uh, cause that's how I phrased it at the time. <laughs> um, and, and he was just sort of like, okay. And then as time went on and I started being like, how would you feel if I dressed more masculinely? And, or how would you feel if I, you know, did this or did that? And, and at one point he told me, like, I asked him just point blank, like, would you still want to be with me if I was a dude? And he was like, yeah, totally. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And he's like, I've never wanted to sleep with a dude before, but I totally want to sleep with you, which since then we have realized is not the case. My husband is very much pansexual, <laughs> but when you grow up in a very, restrictive Christian environment, which he grew up homeschooled, uh, as well as conservative Christian. So that was a very restrictive environment. And he didn't, had no conversations or understandings or like no one in his family ever talked to him about sex. No one at his school, he never had a sex talk ever. And so he didn't know how to one communicate that, but two understand that about himself. And so that was just something that, that has come out since over time. But yeah, it, it was, it was interesting to me that I was like, why are you so chill with me being a dude? If you're straight, like that doesn't really make sense. It makes sense now. Cause he's not straight, <laughs> but yeah, it was, it's funny to see how being authentic about who we are and about our mutual queerness and about, those aspects of ourselves has just radically improved both our marriage and our sex life. <laughs> um, it's funny how, when you think you have to fit into certain bubbles, uh, and those bubbles are incredibly restricting, it's hard to reach a place of intimacy. And even if you think like, Oh, those things are bad. I'm, I'm doing all the things that are right. I'm, I'm following all the things that the Bible says. That's the way God says to find true intimacy, that kind of thing, blah, blah, blah. It's like, if you're not being honest about who you are in a relationship at any point, and you're not being honest with yourself about who you are, the intimacy is just not going to be as good. Because if you can't understand yourself, and if you can't legitimately be yourself, then there is going to be a level of comfort and safety that you will just never fully achieve. Because it's hard to love and be intimate with someone when you can't love and be intimate with yourself. And, and so being able to do that has just been oh so good. <laughs> uh, we just realized, I think I came to a point where 
so much of what we had been taught in the church about what a marriage was supposed to look like was actually practically just hindering our intimacy in so many ways because we just had to felt like we had to do these things the certain right way otherwise it would be sinful and that was actually making things a lot worse <laughs> and so we reached a point where especially me because i was a lot more like firm about those things where i sort of just looked at myself and i was like what is more important and what is more god honoring having a marriage where I do all of these things that the evangelical Christian church tells me I need to do and having a frustrating marriage where we never really fully know each other and things are awkward or to have a wonderful, healthy, safe marriage, but compromise on things that I've told we shouldn't compromise on. And to be honest, when it comes down to it, I came to the conclusion that having a healthy, good, safe marriage is far more God honoring than being like, no, we can never be queer, we can never watch porn, we can never do these things. It's that's you're not gonna have an authentic, genuine, intimate relationship. And I think that kind of relationship is ultimately more honoring to God than one where you're trying to fit into boxes that neither of you fit in. Yes. A healthy relationship is so important. Um and obviously like your marriage is is going well. Do you ever look back at your wedding day and wish it was more authentic of who you both are now? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, partially for the, the transness, also partially because there was a lot of stress in that whole thing with his family, particularly his mother. Uh, that was That's a whole other thing. Uh, but I actually, that gave me some serious anxieties and I spent our wedding day just in like a total panic, just like taking anti-anxiety medication to try to calm down. And so there were a lot of things about that day that just weren't the way either of us really wanted them to be, but we had certain, you know, I guess restrictions, like I had to compromise because, okay, is this something super important not to have and have Josh's mother freak out at me again? Or should I just let her get what she wants in this? Or, you know, okay, like, is the pastor, like, am I going to get upset about the fact that the pastor made a sermon about the whole thing and brought up the whole man being the head of the wife during our wedding ceremony when I specifically told him not to? Or am I just gonna just gonna laugh and let it, you know, go on by? And, and so there were a lot of little things like that, where it was like, oh, gosh, the whole wedding was so stressful it was so stressful and then looking back at pictures of myself in a wedding dress and coming to the realization that until recently i have never looked at myself in the mirror and actually thought i looked good like i would look at myself in the mirror and i think i looked good but my definition of i look good in my mind meant i look passable for public viewing People will see me and they won't do a double take. People will see me and they'll think, yes, that is a normal woman with nothing sus about her whatsoever. That was what good meant in my mind. And now I look at myself and I'm like, oh, I look good. And I'm like, wait, is this what it's normally like to think you look good? To actually like enjoy the way you perceive yourself and like feel good? Is this what it's actually supposed to be like? And my husband was like, yes that's that's what that means <laughs> i'm like oh shit i didn't know that till now and so we are 
definitely planning a little bit down the line when I've more fully transitioned and have the beard of my dreams and uh, and we have a little bit more money, we want to do a, a do-over wedding where we're just both the way we want to be and we invite the people we want to invite and don't have to worry about catering to our parents' needs and desires and don't have to worry about anyone telling us what we have to do and just enjoy the day ourselves. So that's on the that's on the docket mm-hmm. for eventually. Yes. Now is growing facial hair something that has been difficult for you? Not too much, honestly. The men in my family get just big old luscious beards. Uh, my, both my dad and my brother have had beards forever. Uh, my brother started growing facial hair when he was like 12. And so the, the mustache started coming in kind of soon. Like it still looks like a, like a pubescent boy mustache at the moment, but it's coming in a lot quicker than what I've heard a lot of other trans men get. So I, I guess I'm optimistic. I was hoping I would be like Ron Swanson ready by Halloween, but that was not the case. <laughs> so we'll try again next year. <laughs> right. There there are future Halloweens that you can, you know, be Ron Swanson. Yeah. Exactly. That's the goal one of these days. <laughs> so with a lot of what you've shared, it sounds like, you know, you've learned a lot in this last year, just kind of about general life and, and things mm-hmm. uh, that other people experience and now you're able to experience. So I'm curious if you have any thoughts of like what will come in this next year. Ooh, that's a good question. Uh, well, I am in the process of self-publishing a children's book, so that will come in this next year, which is very exciting. Um, I haven't had much success in the field of employment because all the stuff I have qualifications in and experience in is like customer service stuff. And it turns out it's very hard to be in a customer service position when you don't even know who the fuck you are. Uh, you know, it's like, how can I help you if I can't even help myself? I don't know. Uh, so I've been dabbling in, I mean, I've always been a writer. My dad was a writer and that's always really what I've wanted to be. And so this is kind of the first step towards that, which is really exciting. And it's exciting to put the name Chuck Patrizzi on the book and be like, Hey, that's me. Um, so that's a, that's a big step in one direction. I'm working on editing a podcast with some friends, um, I'm just taking this time, I guess, to figure out more of who I am. Because I I say, and I was telling my therapist this, and I was very specific to be like, this is a metaphor. This is not an actual thing going on in my brain. But it feels like there are three different people inside of me. And I'm like, again, not an actual psychological thing. I don't actually have, you know, BPD or anything like that. But I I do have... um, I, I, metaphorically, it feels like there are three different people in my brain. There's like the childhood version of me, Jimmy. Then there was Anna, which was the female version of me. And now there's Chuck. And I'm trying to like have a dialogue with those three people and sort of find out where I am in the middle of all of that and what kind of person Chuck is. And like, I don't want to completely let go of Anna, the like female part of me because you know she had experiences and she tried her best and she's still a part of me in many ways and that's you know to each their own not every trans person will say that most trans people you know don't have that kind of relationship with their dead name but i am you know i don't i don't have a problem with it It, she still feels like a part of me i'm just trying to sift through 
Anna and Jimmy and Chuck and find out where I am in the middle of all of that. And it's starting to be an experience that's a lot less stressful than it was in the beginning. Because I think I'm actually starting to develop a personality <laughs> that feels like me and feels right and doesn't feel like, you know, little boy Jimmy or repressed Christian Anna. You know, I'm starting to become myself and it's getting kind of exciting. And I'm excited. Like, I don't, I have a lot of irons in the fire and there's a lot of possibilities for the upcoming year. And it's exciting to have possibilities that I never thought I would have and have experiences that I never thought I would have and be able to exist in the world in a way that I always dreamed but never thought I would be able to. And it's been so, like I said, liberating just to unite the two worlds of my faith and my gender in a way that actually functions together and actually works, which I was told would never be possible. And so I don't, I guess I don't fully know where the next year is going to take me, but I'm excited to find out. And that's the first time I can say that in a long time. And that's a, a good place to be, I think. Um, I'm curious if you're willing to share, cause you talked about how you did not want to choose the name Jimmy, even though it was the name you chose when you were younger, right? Uh, yeah. where Chuck came from. Chuck came from one place and one place only. And that was my favorite TV show in high school called Chuck, which ran on NBC from 2007 to 2012 and starred Zachary Levi and is still my all time favorite TV show. And that is where I got the name. And I was confirmed by the name, by the fact that I did not know anybody named Chuck. <laughs> and so it wouldn't feel weird to take that name. And yeah, that's, that's where that came from. So shout out to Zachary Levi and the TV show Chuck. If you haven't watched it, highly recommend. <laughs> I, I can confirm that recommendation. It is a very good show. I've watched it seven times. I made my husband watch it before we got married. I was like, you have to watch the whole show. <laughs> and he did. <laughs> oh, gosh. Now, before I start to wrap things up, is there anything else you would like to share with the listeners today? I don't know. I mean, I do have a book coming out, uh, self-published, but it's still exciting. It's going to be called Nigel Sat in a Box. It's about a little boy sitting in a box, and it's about depression and maybe also being trans a little bit. <laughs> so it's a good read, I think. Uh, not much else. I don't know. I just, I guess I want to leave people to know that it is possible to unite the parts of yourself that you don't think you can unite. Uh, it is possible to be the version of yourself that you have always felt like you are. Sometimes, you know, I've, I've lost relationships since coming out, but the most important relationship I have, which is the relationship I have with God, has only thrived and has only gotten better and has only gotten more real. And I have only understood the experiences of Jesus and the gospel better through my experiences of being trans, which is something I never thought I would ever say. And so that's just, you know, for anyone listening who's worried that you can't <laughs> unite religion and queerness, you absolutely can. Um, there are so many people doing it so well. And it it's a beautiful place to be. And I love being here. Great. I truly love that here at the end. 
Now with all of my guests, I do ask a random question at the end. So my question for you is what are your pet peeves? Oh, I have a bunch and I'm just blanking on all of them right now. The one that came to mind, which really isn't like my biggest pet peeve, but the one that's come to mind is pertinent to the topic too. It's when you're praying in a group, those people who just constantly go, mm, yes, mm, yes, Lord, mm, mm-hmm, mm, mm-hmm, that drives me fucking crazy. <laughs> I don't know if that's my biggest pet peeve, but it's the one I just thought of right now. It's like, I'm glad if you're connecting with Jesus, but it just it irritates the crap out of me. <laughs> All right, that brings this episode to a close. Of course, I'll be leaving information for Chuck in the description. So links to both his Instagram and TikTok will be there. And he is planning on promoting his upcoming book on TikTok as well. So feel free to go check those sites out. And if you're interested in the book that he mentioned, which is called Transgendered Theology, Ministry, and Communities of Faith, that information will be in the description as well. So if you're interested in those topics that Chuck shared about in that book, feel free to check that as well. And if you would like to connect with the podcast, our website is in the description that brings you to all of our social media, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And it also brings you to all of our past episode, all past guests, you know, similar stories to Chuck's, but also very different stories. So feel free to go listen to those and hear other stories. And if you'd like to support the podcast monetarily, a website is in the description to do that as well through a one-time donation or a recurring donation. I always appreciate the support. And if you'd like to be a guest, my email is in the description and you can feel free to reach out to me. So thank you so much, Chuck, for spending time with me today and to my listeners for taking the time out of your day to hear a new story. Until next time. Bye. Thanks for having me. Have a good one. Bye-bye.